All right, let's pray for the Word then. Father, tonight I ask for Your Word to be revelation in our hearts. I ask for the spirit of revelation in this room that we hear what You want us to hear and that, that we understand what You would choose for us to understand. Lord, we open our hearts that You might speak to us. Give us understanding of the times we live in. Give us under, understanding of, of what it is that we should be doing with our lives at this time. Lord, we thank you. We truly honor you this evening. We give you thanks for Jesus. We give you thanks, Lord, that we have been redeemed, that we are children of God. We praise you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to begin tonight by asking you ladies a question. Now, I'm not even sure if, if ladies is a political correct, politically correct word, <coughs> But I'm going to ask you a question, and here's my question. Would you rather be called woman or a menstruating person? <laughs> well, I'm just asking. Would you rather be called mother or birthing person? I mean, I realize that seems ridiculous, but do you understand there's a war for the words we speak? There's a war. Someone doesn't like our words, and so, and there's a reason for that. There's a war for it. We're no longer supposed to say him or her or he or she. I guess we say it. I, I can't figure out which one I'm supposed to say. I think we're supposed to say they or them. I, I think that's what it's really supposed to be. But there's a war for the words. Why does it matter so much about what we say? Why, why is that out there? I mean, there's a war. Have you ever heard of a guy named George Orwell? I mean, in school, you probably read the book Animal Farm about, you know, when the animals threw the farmer off the land and the pigs kind of took over and, and the end of it, because uh, it's, it's, a, it's a commentary about socialism and, and uh, the pigs took over and in the end of it, uh, the other animals couldn't tell the difference between the pigs and the men. And so it's kind of a commentary about all that. But he also wrote another book that's probably more famous than that, and it's called 1984. Anybody read 1984 or see the movie? 1984 was written in 1949. And, and he was talking about what was going to happen in 1984. And, and so it, it was really, a, his intent was to warn the Western world about uh, the totalitarian government of Russia. And he wanted, the, he wanted the Western world to see how terrible it was. And so if you'll remember, the story was, was about a guy named Winston Smith. And Winston lived in this place called, called Ingsoc. It's I-N-G-S-O-C, Ingsoc, but it was really short for English Socialism. So he lived in Ingsoc, and he had a job for the Ministry of Truth. Now, wait a minute, don't, didn't we just try to have a disinformation ministry recently? Well, Winston worked for the Ministry of Truth in, 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 this, in this novel by George Orwell. The Ministry of Truth, and the, the society was ruled by an entity known as Big Brother. And Big Brother was always watching. He watched. There were cameras. There were even in people's homes. There were cameras and and, and televisions that could see you. And and they watched people twenty four hours a day, seven days a week. I mean, he the, Big Brother watched everyone, everyone. And so and so so Winston worked for this thing called the Ministry of Truth, where they were rewriting the language of the people. I mean, the new language they were writing was called new speak. 
The old language was called old speak. And so, so in, in this particular world, it was a crime to speak negatively of Big Brother. It was actually a crime to think negatively of Big Brother. And so the government realized they had to change the speech in order to change the thoughts. And so they began to change the words for them. Uh, by controlling the language, Big Brother could control the way they thought. The idea was that with a limited vocabulary, the people are limited in how much they can think, as well as what they can think. Here's a statement from, from, from the book. That one of Winston's colleagues says, Don't you see that the whole aim of Newspeak is to narrow the range of thought? In the end, we shall make thought crime literally impossible because there will be no words in which to express it. Every concept that can ever be needed will be expressed by exactly one word with its meaning rigidly defined and all its subsidiary meanings rubbed out and forgotten. That's a statement from, from that novel. Do you understand that the devil and those that hate God and hate his word are trying to steal the words that come out of your mouth? That, that, that's what it's about. The other night... Um, I laid down, I think it was Saturday night, I was laying down to go to bed at night, and I was thinking about something totally different, and all of a sudden this, this sentence came into my mind, and the sentence, and it came from inside of me and not from outside of me, and, and it was this, it was, whoever controls the conversation wins. Whoever controls the conversation wins. Whoever controls the language wins. I realized this, I've realized for a long time, the enemy dominates those who he silences. If he can silence you, silence the church, then he will dominate because that's what he does. He simply wants to take your voice away. If he can get you to speak words that are in agreement with the culture and in, and, and in disagreement with the word of God, he has you right where he wants you to be. We must understand, we can't be dominated by him if we will continue to speak. Speech is, in the, in the Chumash, when it talks about God created man, and we, we understand he made man like himself, but the Jewish writers in, interpret it this way, that God made man to be another speaking spirit. Speaking is a large part of what we do. And speaking, if we don't learn to speak right, we won't think right. All right? We mustn't allow the culture to cancel the speech and the words that we want to use. They're choosing words today to erase images of ideas that they don't want you to see in your mind that may raise questions about morality and the validity of their ideas. We mustn't allow them to decide what we say. Dictionary.com recently changed the definition of the word homosexual. Okay, they actually don't define it anymore. They just have a statement in there that's telling them that that word is disparaging and offensive. And so they've kind of taken, taken it away. The word homosexual has been canceled with the word gay. Homosexual gives different images than the word gay, doesn't it? I mean, you just think about homosexual, 
and it has the idea of people of the same sex having intimacy together. The word gay, however, is a whole different thought. It doesn't, it, you, you can't, from the word gay, you can't take those other thoughts. And ultimately, that word gay cancels homosexuality, and it becomes something that you, don't, you can't think a bad thought about that. Do you see how important what, what the words are? Because that then prevents the culture from questioning a behavior. How about this word, infanticide? It's been replaced with this phrase, pro-choice. Infanticide means the murder of babies. Pro-choice sounds very, very uh, 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 noble, and it's a right. And so what happens is when we change the words, when culture replaces the words, when Big Brother replaces the words, People can't think right. This is pretty somber so far, huh? I read an article today. read an article today about someone said the word Latino. Well, by the way, most Hispanic people don't like the word Latino anyway. And so, um, according to the survey, but Latino, they've replaced the word Latino with the word Latinx. Taking the O off the end, making X. Why, why would they do that? Well, because you understand in Spanish that, that nouns are either going to be masculine or feminine. Latino is masculine. Latina is feminine. But if they make it Latinx, it's, it's asexual. There's no sex. No difference. If we, can, if we can create an asexual society where everybody can be whatever they want to be, that's the goal of the language to make that happen. See, the goal is not just to change my words, but to change my thoughts about issues. And if, if, if the culture can dominate the conversation, if they can dominate it, then they win. I mean, we, we, we have to understand that we must learn how to speak truth. No matter what that means we have to learn to speak truth. I'm not talking about arguing with people, but we must learn to speak words. If we learn to speak right, the right words, we, are, we have the ability to fight the fight of faith. Silence is not golden in the fight of faith. We must learn how to speak right. We must learn how to do right. We got we to understand, eventually these people are coming after the word of God because they hate God. They hate His Word. They don't want people to know the Word of God. They want people to believe that it was a myth at one time, but that we don't, have, we don't speak that any longer. Listen to this, Ephesians 4, verse 14, that we henceforth no more be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of man, and that cunning craftiness whereby they lie and wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into Him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. We must speak the truth. We must lovingly speak the truth, but we must speak the truth to become what we're supposed to be. Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, verse 8, He said, Also I say unto you, Whosoever shall confess me before men, him shall the Son of Man confess before the angels of God. In, in Matthew, He says, Confess before my Father. But he that denieth me before men shall be denied before the angels of God or before my Father. The word confess here, the Greek word is homo logeo, and it means to agree with and say it out loud. 
So Jesus is saying, whoever will speak in the public place in agreement with me, I then will take those words and speak them in the presence of God and the angels. The implication is, if you want angelic help, you want to speak what Jesus agrees with. And then you, you get this supernatural help. If you don't, it's he that denieth me before men. The word deny means to not speak. Whoever doesn't speak before men, then, they'll be, then they won't be spoken of before God and the angels. This is pretty powerful stuff. Our heavenly help and, and, and the confirmation comes as we say what God says. Psalm 119, the psalmist, this is also quoted in 2 Corinthians 4, says, I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed, therefore have I spoken. Let me paraphrase it. I believed the promise, so I said it aloud in spite of the circumstances. That's what he's saying. He said, I'm walking in the land of the living. I believed it. That's why I spoke it. That's what he's talking about. Isaiah 57, 19. The Lord said, I create the fruit of the lips. Peace, peace. Shalom, shalom. To him that is far off, to him that is near, saith the Lord, and I will heal him. So, so the, 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 the healing comes as a result of the speaking. Shalom, shalom. All right. He creates the fruit of our lips. Numbers 14, 28. The Lord said, as truly as I live, as you have spoken in mine ears, so will I do to you. So th this, what we're talking about is, there's, and, and I can, there are dozens of more passages of Scripture I could have used. But the fight is about what we say. The culture wants to stop you from saying. Do you wonder why all those liturgical churches from history had the liturgy in their services? So they would say it. They would say it. We're like, oh, that's just all religion. No, no. If you say it and it drops into your heart, it becomes faith that works out of your life. There's not a problem with liturgy. The problem is with people just mindlessly saying it. But as you say it and you say it. When I first got spirit-filled back in the 1970s, every service I went to, the preacher said, say this, say this. Say this. Did that ever happen to y'all? And we said stuff all the time. We said stuff. Why? Because there's something about what we say. Because God creates the fruit of our lips. And we need to be people who are saying, we're in a war for truth, and so we must speak truth. I mean, we, we must be the people who stand against the lies of the current age in which we live. There's a fight of faith that needs to be taking place. I'm not talking about arguing with people. I'm not talking about that. You could argue all day long, but if they don't want to believe it, they're not going to believe it. The Bible, Jesus talks about their eyes they have closed. And that they love a lie more than they love the truth. But we still need to speak the truth. Not casting pearls before the swine, not arguing with people. But I'm talking about not letting the culture cancel your confession of the word and what you believe. Oh man, my grandkids need to hear this. I'm talking, about, I'm talking about when you talk to yourself. What do you say to yourself? Do you say what God said or do you say what you feel? I just can't do this anymore. Seriously? 
Is that what you believe? The scripture says the opposite of that. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. See, we need to learn how to agree with him. When we agree with him, when we agree with him, now those words are spoken in heaven as well. That's what Jesus said when we agree with him. So here's what we're talking about. 1 Timothy 6.12, fight the good fight of faith. We've been talking about this the last three times, two or three times. I think this is the third time. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed or confessed, the same word, a good confession before many witnesses. I give thee charge in the sight of God, who quickeneth all things before Christ, and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession. This is talking about fighting a fight in the Spirit. The word fight is in here twice in the first verse. The word confess is in here twice in the first verse I read to you. And then the word confession is used again in the next verse. Here's what I want you to see. We fight by laying hold of something and then not giving it up. We fight by it. We confess what we say. We, we, read, we talked about last time that Jesus had a good confession. He fought the good fight because he had a good confession. When he stood before Pilate, I mean, he fought the fight with the words that he said. I love what he told Pilate. We talked about it. Pilate said, don't you know that I have the power to kill you? And Jesus looked at him and said, you don't have any power over me at all. That's the fight. Jesus stood there knowing that this man had the authority of the earth to kill him. But Jesus had already died to his flesh. He was already committed to dying for our sins and being raised the third day. Imagine the faith that it took for Jesus to even die. There's no sin. He had never sinned. So he couldn't die. But he took sin and became it for us so that he could die on our behalf. But he stood there and he never said the wrong thing. He said to Pilate what he had been saying all along. Didn't change anything. Didn't beg him for anything. I mean, he just stared him down and Pilate became the one that was nervous. Now let's read this passage. This is 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. The Apostle Paul, I think we read these last time. He said, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Here in that passage, Paul is near the end of his race, near the end of his course. I mean, he basically saying, been there, done that, wrote the book. I mean, he did write most of the book, right? <laughs> we talked last time that death is the transition from one place to another. He said, I'm ready to depart. It's like going to the airport and departing to another place. Uh, we know that, when you, I mean, when you go to the airport here in town, it says arrivals and departures. And arrivals are the ones coming in, the departure ones going out. We, we can see that he, he's talking about here that the arrivals would be births. We understand that some 300,000 people are born every day. I think that's right. And some 150,000 people die every day, or more than, more than the, both those numbers. But, but they're arriving and they're departing. And so when we, when we die, we're just departing. We're just going to another place. It's not a bad thing. We have a good thing because the Apostle Paul said, that is far better to go there. All right, we need to be ready, he said. I'm ready. I need to be ready when I'm done, and I need to have finished my course. We're not ready to go until we're finished. Amen. So don't be trying to check out early and make us do your work. He said he had fought and he had finished. Bear in mind the devil has been trying to kill you off all your life. 
I mean, he's been trying to kill you. I mean, sometimes it's been our fault, but I mean, he's been trying to kill us. There are so many germs out there, and God's given us this fantastic body that fights them off. There are, who knows how many times there have been cars that the devil has assigned to run into us. How many, how many things that, we've, that the devil has assigned for us to eat, and the Lord has protected us so we can finish our course. He intends for us to finish what we're supposed to do. We need to finish it. We've got a course to finish, all right? It's important that we finish. We may not see the impact we're having in the world. You have impact. Your part in the body of Christ is as important as anybody else's part in the body of Christ. I mean, there are parts in your body that you have never seen. But if you didn't have them, you would wish you did. You may not see them, but every part is important. Every one of us has a part to play. We need to do our part. We need to finish our course. In order to finish our course, we must fight our fight. We need to decide tonight, I'm not leaving here before my time. I am going to run my whole race and finish my course. You need to be saying that to yourself. I will live long and strong. Because that's what the Bible promised me in Proverbs. I will love, live long. I will live strong. But in order for that to happen, I must fight the fight. There's a fight for us to fight. All right. We talked about how Jesus fought the fight with the words of his mouth. In our day and time, there's so much said of grace that says you don't have to do anything. Well, Jesus will take care of everything. I don't have to do anything. Well, if you read the Bible carefully, you find out that it takes faith to access grace. I mean, we are saved by what? Grace through what? Faith. So we fight this fight. We have grace to fight the fight. It takes faith to access the fight, the grace, faith to access the grace to win the fight. We're attacked every day, but we must be willing to fight. Here's what you need to know, that grace is God's part. Faith is your part. Amen. It'd be great if we could lay hands on you tonight and you get faith. Doesn't happen that way. That's your part. That's by you believing what God said, taking the time and putting it in your heart. If we, we will make it by grace if we'll fight the fight of faith. You want to be able to say with your last breath, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. You want to be able to, be able to do that. Tonight, here's what I'm going to talk about. I'm going to talk about why Christians lose. It's like, well, wait a minute, I'd rather hear how they win. Well, if we find out how they lose, then we'll know what we're not supposed to do. So I'm gonna, and I, this is not a complete list. This is a very short list, but I want to share with you a couple of reasons why Christians lose. Have you ever, well, I tried. It just didn't work. Why do Christians lose? Why does it happen? These are two big reasons that I'm going to talk to you about. First of all, let me read Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our, says profession of the King James, confession is the word, the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. Jesus is the apostle of our confession. And he's the high priest of our confession. Now, Again, confession means to agree with and say out loud. Jesus wants to do something with the words that I speak. What did the high priest do? Do you, do you remember what they did every day? They offered a sacrifice. 
but they could only offer a sacrifice that pleased God. They couldn't just take any old ragged animal in there. It had to be a spotless lamb. They could only offer a sacrifice that would be acceptable. Jesus' sacrifice that he offers daily is our or our words. He is the high priest of our confession. When we offer the right words, Jesus takes them before the Father, which is what we talked about him earlier as we confess him before men. He's the high priest of our confession. This is kind of an important thing, maybe, if Jesus is the high priest of what I say and agree with. Now, he's not going to take to the Father stuff that, that he doesn't, that doesn't agree with him. If I'm, if I'm saying things that don't go with the Bible, that if I'm saying things, if I'm talking about, God, I just want you to kill somebody because I hate them, he's not taking that one to the Father. All right, He will take to the Father the things you say that agree with him. That means you need, we need to find out what agrees with him. Of course, that's his word. He is the high priest of our confession. He's the high priest of what we say. How did we get born again? Remember, we believed in our heart. We said with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, and we got born again. That's how this thing works. We believe something, we say it, and it happens because God gets all over those words. That's, uh, that's just, it's pretty simple that way. Let me read verse 6. But Christ is a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. We'll enjoy all these things if we hold on to it. If we hold on to it. What happens if we don't hold on to it? We won't enjoy them. Let me read verse 14 of that same chapter. We are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. If we hold on. We, we get to partake of things. We are partakers of Him. We get to partake of His kingdom, partake of what, he's, what He died to do for us if we hold on. What happens if we don't? That means we don't get to partake of it. Do you wonder why Christians are losing? It's because they're not holding on to it. Because circumstances, situations around them are causing them to let go of it. And they're saying, well, why doesn't this work? It does work if we hold on to it. Chapter, the next chapter, verse 14, says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest, high priest of what? Our confession, that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Let us hold on to it. In other words, hold on to what you're supposed to say. We hold on to it. It lets us know that there's something going to challenge what we say. Can I tell you something? A headache can challenge what you say. Bad news on the telephone can challenge what you say. A guy cutting you off on the loop can challenge what you say. But the Bible says we're to hold fast. Hold on. We just read three verses in two chapters that talk about holding on to it, not letting it go. Something is going to challenge us and make us turn loose. That's what the fight is about. Holding it fast. Hmm. 
You ever gotten mad at God before and said, well, if that's the way you're going to do it, I quit you. Can I tell you something? That'd be one of the dumbest things you would ever say because he's your only help, your only hope. Hold it fast. Don't let it go. Hebrews chapter 10, this is later on in the book, verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, our bodies washed with pure water. Listen to this. Let us hold fast the confession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. Hold fast the confession without wavering. The thing we're confessing is what he promised. We find what he said, we hold it fast. We hold it. I mean, the promise of God has not changed. The word of God has not changed, and so you should not change. Hold fast. Listen, if you waver, you won't win. If you win, you won't waver. Wavering is not holding fast. It's not holding fast to your confession. We read the word confidence and steadfast in those verses. When you hear the word of God, the enemy does what? He comes immediately to try to steal the word from you because he doesn't want you to get hold of it. If you do get hold of it, he comes again and again and again with the trials of the world, with the frustration that's around you to get you to turn loose of it. The enemy does not want you to hold fast. I mean, he wants to distract you. He'll bring you symptoms. He'll bring you feelings, circumstances, anything he can bring to you to wrestle away the word, the promise, to wrestle away what you say. Hmm. I think that we need to recognize this way. He's done it the same way throughout human history. I mean, Adam and Eve were standing there. Their confession was don't eat the fruit. The day you eat it, you die. In fact, they added another rule. They said, okay, since we can't eat it, we, we won't even touch it. And they pretended that was the word of God. Don't eat it, don't touch it, or you'll die. And, and so the devil comes. And what did he say? He said, um, did, did, did God say that? Yeah, he said that. He said that. And he said, well, are you sure? I mean, look how pretty it is. What? Why would God withhold that from you? What happened? He began to help them think another thought rather than the Word of God. And He got them to begin to speak a different way. He began to, in, to, to inject thoughts that, that he, he said, like, just open your mind up. Understand. If you'll understand this, I mean... It'll make you like God. He's just trying to keep you from being like Him. The irony of that is they already were like God. They walked with God every day in the garden. And they communed with Him and talked with Him. They, 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 they didn't have to eat the fruit to be like God. They were already there. And He began to talk to them and talk to them. And pretty soon their thoughts thinking they've allowed thoughts to come into their minds that are contrary to what God said. And he begins, he begins to say, you know what? Don't be so narrow-minded about this. I mean, come on. 
think bigger than that. Really? Because it's the broad way that leads to destruction. It's the narrow way that leads to life. But he's telling that. He's saying, you know, just come on. Just think about it. You don't have to eat it. Don't, I'm, I'm sure this is not exactly how it went, but if the, something like this. You don't have to eat it, but just think about it. Look how good that looks. Ooh-wee. You're at the mall. And you say, I, I'm not going to buy anything today. I'm just going to go to the mall. Oh, man. Look how good that looks. And you go in, try it on. Ooh-wee. The devil comes and says, you look great in that. Go ahead and get it. And you say, get behind me, Satan. And he says, he looks good from back here too. <laughs> I mean, woo-wee. You know, it's just to get you to keep thinking about it. Keep thinking about it. Keep talking about it. <coughs> well, it doesn't hurt. It wouldn't hurt to just to look at it. I wonder what it tastes like. It wouldn't hurt to think about that. God said, don't eat it. The day you eat it, you will die. And the devil said, die? Die? I mean, you won't die, die. I mean, he's not going to kill you for that. You won't die. But they did. They did not physically, they died spiritually the day they ate the fruit. And they separated themselves from God. But all he had to do was get them to begin to listen to him, to broaden their thinking about it. Sometimes you don't have to broaden your thinking. You just have to say what God said. Truth is truth. And you don't have to explore it in any other way. The enemy comes. He tries to find an opening, an exposed place. So that's why. We need to continually have the armor of God on, be prepared. We're going to talk about the armor of God eventually. I don't know if it'll be this summer or not. We'll have to, we'll find out. But we've got to have that. The devil's trying, he tries to find a soft place to get you to start wondering and questioning and wavering on whether the word is true and if God meant what he said. That's how it works. Oh man, it's like, oh, the word is true. Well, the devil says, well, well, maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. I mean, how do you know? I mean, after all, I mean, men wrote it. How do you know it's true? How do you know that's true? I mean, maybe he will. Maybe he won't. Maybe you'll die. Maybe you won't. One of the devil's favorite phrases is, well, you never know what God will do. I've heard that in church before. You never know what God will do. Oh man, that phrase is, that sentence is straight from the pit. You know that God will do whatever He said in His Word. That's what He will do. All of that describes wavering. You know, oh, you know, God may say yes, He may nay, He may say no. You just never know. There is no faith in that. There is no fight in that. And there's no victory in that. The first thing we need to do in the fight of faith is know the will of God. What did God say? And once we know what God said, then we fight and we never let go of that. 
How many of you remember when you first got saved and the devil came and said to you, you didn't get saved. You tried, but I'm sorry. It didn't stick on you. You didn't get it. It happened to me. I mean, I was just six, I think. And I remember one day when I got the baptism in the Holy Spirit, the devil came and said to me, you're not really saved. And then by that time I realized if he ever says something to you, it's a lie anyway, so you might as well just shut him up. And I remember he said to me, he said, he said, you're not really saved. I said, stop. I received the baptism in the Holy Spirit. I spoke in other tongues. You cannot speak in tongues unless you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. You can't get the baptism in the Holy Spirit unless you're saved. So get on out of here because I am saved. Never had that problem again with him. We need to know the truth and never back away from what he, what he says to you. We need to know what did God say. You stand, you wrap your hands around it, you never let go, no matter what winds and storms assail you, you just say, this is the way it is, and this is the way it will always be, and there are no other considerations. When the devil comes and says, well, but what if? There is no what if. This is what God said. This is what he told me. I mean, yeah, but what about all the other? No, there is no other. Jesus is the way. There is no other way. There is no other. Well, yeah, but, you know, sometimes you win a few. Sometimes you lose a few. That's just the way the old ball bounces. We're not playing ball. And it's not bouncing. We are new creations God does not change, and if he said it, it's true, and I hold fast to it. That's my job. Paul said about another circumstance, he said, none of these things move me. When we know what God said, we shouldn't ever move away from it, no matter what goes on. The number one reason that Christians lose is they let go. They let go of what God said because of the circumstances that are around them. They let go. When if they stay and they stay, and we're going to talk later on about standing and standing. What are we standing against? And we're going to look at all those things, but we have to learn how to stand. And they are lies that come that tell you, you might as well quit. Hmm. That's the first reason. Second reason, let's read from Luke chapter 22. And again, there are more reasons these, but these two I have. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon. <laughs> when he says your name twice, <laughs> I mean, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Martha, Martha, why are you anxious and troubled about all these things? When he says your name twice, you just need to get on your knees right now because either you've already messed up or you're getting ready to mess up. And he's trying to help you with it. And so here they are. He says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But 
I have prayed for you. That's a powerful statement. Je now, Jesus is just getting ready to go to the cross. I mean, he's getting ready right now to, to go to the garden that, that later and go to the cross. And, and he, says, he, says, he says, I have prayed for you. I heard somebody say, well, I wish you had prayed for me. <laughs> he's already prayed for you. The Bible says he ever lives to make intercession for you. He's praying for you all the time. And when he prays, he believes what he prays. Every time he prays, he believes what he says. I mean, he intercedes for you. He prays. He believes. He's on your side. He expects his prayer to be answered. He prays for Peter here, even when he knows that Peter is about to blow it. He's praying for it. I mean, he has faith that he'll recover. If you read John 17, Jesus prayed the prayer. He's praying for us, and he prays that all of us will be one as he and the Father are one. It's like, That'll never happen. It will happen because Jesus prayed it and he believes it. It will happen one time. It'll happen in our future. It will happen. But Jesus said, Jesus said, I pray for thee that, thy, thy, that what? Thy faith fail not because it's a fight of faith. I pray that your faith doesn't fail. When thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Now here's, here's Peter. He says, and he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee both to prison and to death. I mean, Peter, oh man, he, 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 is, he isn't really taking it seriously. He said, Peter, Peter, Satan desires to have you, to sift you like wheat. You're wrong. I am ready. I am ready. I mean, I am with you no matter what happens. No matter what goes on, Jesus, I am with you. I got your back. I'm with you. He's overconfident in his own faith at this point. The reality is you can't be overconfident in God. But you can be overconfident and overestimate who you are and where you are. Peter's like, no, no, no. no. Here he is. He's, he's assuming and he's confident in himself. He says, I, in another passage, he said, I will never leave you, even if all these other guys leave you. I will not leave you. I am better than they are. We have to understand, the fight of faith is real. It's very real. And we do have to fight. Our faith will be challenged. It'll take everything we have to not let go. Peter is so confident. I mean, we... we we can win every time. The scripture says, thanks be to God who always causes us to triumph in Christ. That's in 2 Corinthians 2.14. But there are going to be times you're going to be seriously tempted to quit and let go of what you believe based on the circumstances. Remember, it's a fight of faith, not a fight of answers, not a fight of knowledge. I mean, it's a fight of faith and we must not quit. People quit every day, all the time. I mean, Peter, man, he's just like, Lord, all these other guys may quit, but I will never quit. And this Jesus said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall, crow this, shall not crow this day before thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. I mean, here he is. He's talking big. But we've got to understand it's not enough just to talk big. We've got to fight with everything we have. That's why we've got to learn how to fight the little fights today. Because the big fights will come. I'm not, I don't want to be the bearer of bad news, but they come. If I learn to fight the little fights today, 
If I learn how to fight like Jesus fought with the words of his mouth, he fought with the, with the sword of his tongue, with the sword of his mouth, we fight the same way. If we learn to fight today, those little things, we'll get used to fighting that way and we'll learn what to do when, the time, when it gets bad. I mean, Peter's talking big. I mean, he's, 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 man, he's doing it. We need to, before the battle gets earnest, we need to fight. Peter, he boasts, he says, I am ready. I'm ready to go to prison with you. Ready to die. I'm ready. He wasn't ready. He wasn't even close to ready. I mean, this isn't the time to brag and boast. This is the time to get humble. When Jesus said, Peter, Peter, or Simon, Simon, it's the time to humble and say, Lord, help me. What do I need to do? What, what needs to happen here? I mean, in churches, there's a lot of talk about fighting the fight of faith. But I've seen it over and over. People just fold up like a wet noodle at the first little challenge that they have. I thought this was going to be easier than this. It may not be easy. You had to fight the fight of faith. We can sing songs. We can make all kinds of bold confession at church. But when we get out of there, we've got to learn how to fight the fight of faith. Jesus said, Peter, the devil wants to sift you. What does sifting do? Well, sifting separates you sift them, so you separate. The devil wants to separate Peter from his faith. He wants to separate Peter from the Word. He wants to separate him. Listen, he's not all-powerful, but he works through situations, trials, temptations, to bring a shaking that will, faith, that will shake the faith right out of you. If you're not aware of it, he'll shake it out of you with the problems. You need to understand he wants you to get away from it. Remember, faith isn't about me getting God to do something for me. Faith is about getting, letting God do something through me for himself. That's what we're believing for. That's what we're standing for. We, got, we, have, we, have, so much, we have so much to fight for. I mean, Peter is like, no, no, no. Jesus, I am with you. I will climb the highest mountain. I will swim the deepest ocean. I mean, I got your back. You can worry about all these other guys, but you do not have to worry about me. I mean, I, I am there. It's easy to talk when you're standing there with Jesus. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that's pretty easy to do. But in a few hours, there's going to be soldiers. There's going to be pressure. Peter never imagined that Jesus would allow the soldiers to take him. If you've read the New Testament, you know there were other times they tried to kill him. Every time they tried to kill him, he just walked through it because his time was not yet, is what the Scripture says. Peter doesn't have any understanding that his time is now. He thinks, they can't kill you, Jesus. They've already tried. Nobody can kill you. I'm with you. You know, you can be with somebody like that, right? I got your back. Nobody can kill you. I know you. I know nobody can kill you, Jesus. I'm with you. I am with you. And it's easy to brag when everything's going the way you think it will. But when it changes, what will you do then? Chapter 5, verse 54 of that chapter says, They took him and led him and brought him to the high priest's house, and Peter followed afar off. He's being shaken. First it was, I got your back. Now it's like, I got the back door. <laughs> well, maybe I got the back 40. I mean, he's there, but he doesn't have his back. 
he doesn't, he's being shaken. But a certain maid beheld him as he sat by the fire, a little girl, and earnestly looked upon him and said, This man was also with him. And he denied him, Jesus, saying, Woman, I know him not. He did not speak. He was shaken. The maid in the crowd was pressure. Here he is, no more believers around him. Jesus is up there. They're spitting on him. They're beating him. They're mocking him. And he is out here trying to get warmed by the fire. He's not at church anymore. He doesn't feel the anointing. There's no organ music. I mean, nothing like that is going on here. I mean, where he is, nobody loves his master. And they have murder in their eyes. And that's their intent. And a little girl intimidates him. What's it time to do? It's time to fight. It's time to fight. And it takes real faith to stand and grab hold of it. We're intimidated when someone says, oh, do they speak in tongues at your Bible study? Well, I don't know. I don't know. Y'all believe it's in healing at that Bible study? Oh, you know, I don't know. So we pray about stuff. Listen, you need to know that you know what you believe and not be moved. Those are the little fights if you'll just fight them with the, with the sword of your mouth. Fight them. Somebody asked me that one time. They said, y'all speak in tongues at your church? I said, you don't? <laughs> and she said, well, the Bible says to forbid speaking with other tongues. I said, really? This was a long, long time ago. I happened to have a little Gideon Bible in my pocket. I pulled it out, New Testament. I showed her where it says, forbid not to speak with other tongues. She said, she looked at it. What kind of Bible is this? And I said, it's a Gideon King James Bible. It has the same words as your Bible at home. She said, wow, I never heard that before. And I said, there are probably a lot of other things you haven't heard. That's but you've got to fight the fight of faith. You've got to stand with what God says. Verse 58 says, after a little while, another saw him and said, thou art also of them. And Peter said, man, I, uh, thou are also of them. And Peter said, man, I am not. About the space of a one hour after, another confidently affirmed, saying, Of a truth, this fellow was with him, for he's a Galilean. Another one comes. Peter is losing the fight. He's losing it. His accent gave him away. He said, I don't know him. In the, in the Gospel of Mark, it says he began to curse. I mean, he walked with Jesus for three and a half years, and now he's cussing again. Because he let go. He let go of it. And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. Jesus saw him. He saw that Peter had just lost a fight. He lost. After Jesus warned him, he warned him. And then they went out to pray and said, you need to pray that your faith will not fail. That's what, that was supposed to be his prayer. But Peter, what did Peter do? He took a nap. He didn't take it seriously. Didn't take the warning of the Lord seriously. Not long before that, Peter's walking on the water with Jesus. Begins to sink. And Jesus said, why did you doubt? 
Peter needed to take it seriously. Instead of having faith in himself, he needed to have faith in what Jesus said and take seriously this call of God. 1 Corinthians 10.12 says, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. Take heed. Listen, you don't want to be braggadocious when, 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 when you don't need to be. I mean, when there's nothing to go on. It's easy to brag and you know, all that stuff when we're right here. But when the symptoms are there in the middle of the night, or you're in the hospital room and they're shaking their heads, you need to stand with what you know is true. I mean, you know, we need to learn how to say, you know what? Nobody is going to take my faith from me. I'm going to stay with what God said. I'm, well, yeah, but won't that make the devil mad? He's already mad. The scripture says he's full of wrath. He hates you. And he wants to sift you as well. Nobody going to take. We have to fight a fight against anything and everything that wants to shake our faith away from us. Anything that would get us to let go of what God promised us. We stand and we stand. We don't let it go away. I love Romans 8. 35 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Our faith works by love. We understand that. We can know He will always love us. And if we will hold on to what that promise is, we will always love Him no matter what there is, tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword, we will not be moved from what he said, no matter what the circumstances are. It goes on to say in verse 37, Nay, no, in all these things, all of them, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Man, when the devil comes and the circumstance is terrible, you need to load your mouth with those two verses right there. You need to load your mouth and say, No, in all these things, I am more than a conqueror through him that loved me. Boom, and let him have it. Let the liars have it. Paul said, for I am persuaded. That sounds like somebody who's fighting the fight of faith. That neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, or any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I mean, we need to load up and we need to say that kind of thing in the face of that stuff. Instead of saying, I can't take it anymore. We need to say, no, 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 no. I am more than a conqueror through him that loves me. I am a, more than a conqueror. And we need to speak it, load our mouths with what God promised us, with what God said about our families, about our health, about the circuit, our money, all those things. We need to load up with what the word says and just shoot it at the devil, at the lies that are coming to your mind. We need to have this statement. I am am persuaded how about this I am fully persuaded because that's what it says in Romans Paul was fully persuaded we need to be fully or it says Abraham was fully persuaded we need to be fully persuaded and load up with the word of God we don't want to lose the fight you lose the fight by, by letting go you lose the fight by 
by being overconfident in who you are and not taking serious the fight that's coming to you. You lose the fight by letting somebody else choose your words for you. You don't say what the devil tells you, what he's making, wants you to think. You say what the Word of God says every single time. Amen? Let's pray. Father, tonight, I thank you for your Word. I thank you, Lord, that you have made so many promises. You are true every single time. Lord, we want to be people who win this fight, who stand confidently in you and never let go. Lord, I thank you that there, even in those times we do fail, you prayed for us and you've called us back to being champions. I thank you, God, that's what you call us to. That's what we choose to be. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.